0: Well, good morning, everyone. Um, It's uh, really lovely to be speaking about this uh, parable of the persistent uh, widow today. I think this is um, a really interesting uh, little parable. I absolutely uh, love it. Um, I think the first thing we probably need to know about it before we get into it in a bit of depth is just um, exactly how the sort of administration of justice and courts uh, worked in those days. So we have this widow uh, going to court, going to see the judge. Uh, but in those days, uh, the courts were not like the courts uh, that we would be familiar with in our towns and cities here in the 20th, 21st centuries. Uh, what would have happened in those days is that it tended to be uh, that the courts, courts traveled around all of the local towns, And the judge would have traveled around to those courts in the local towns, so the court wouldn't have been a fixed building. The court would have been a sort of mobile structure, something in those days, a little bit like a tent, uh, in fact, that they would have built up, taken down, gone to the next town. The judge would have followed around, uh, and the judge would have been there with his assistants uh, in order to hear the stories of justice uh, that people were bringing uh, to him. The other thing about them is that the judge uh, in those days, even more than judges today, was an extremely powerful figure, Um, and that is because it was not the law of the land that dictated the agenda for court proceedings, it was the judge himself who had that authority to declare the agenda for court proceedings. So the judge was ultimately powerful uh, in all of this, surrounded by his assistants. And the reality is that in life in those days, those assistants would have been open to bribery as well. So there's lots of corruption uh, going on as well. But amidst all of this background, we have this poor widow turning up in Jesus' story. And she's probably penniless, uh, given uh, the nature of society uh, in those days. And she turns up with no money to bribe the the judge or the assistants, no husband with her, because she's a widow. uh, So she probably wouldn't have been taken very seriously as a woman on her own in the court uh, in those days. All she had was determination. It's the only thing that she brought to the court, determination, a determination to keep going, to keep making her case, and this deep faith in what she was doing, and so even though the judge then at the beginning tries to uh, ignore her or sort of you know batter her aside uh, and, uh, and not take her seriously, the fact that she has such persistence and keeps coming back because she is so anchored and rooted in the faith of her cause means that even in the end, this learned judge is forced to give in not because he sees any merit uh, in her argument, you will note, but because he says, this woman is driving me crazy and wearing me out with her constant requests. I'm tempted to ask if anyone's ever heard that or felt like that before, uh, (laughs) but we better not go there uh, in, uh, in life. Well, I say good on the widow for persisting. Now, has anybody ever noticed that Jesus especially in Luke's gospel, as he records uh, Jesus's ministry that Jesus often talks about widows and uses the figure of the widow in his illustrations. And in Luke's gospel, for example, we've got them in chapter two, chapter four, chapter seven, eight, 20, 21, lots of stories about widows going through Luke's gospel. That shouldn't surprise us in lots of ways. Going right back to the Old Testament, uh, God had repeatedly instructed his people to give to widows, to look after them, to take care of them, to provide for them uh, in their widowhood. And in the New Testament, in the early church, we also get lots of stories about how seriously they took the care of Christian widows. But today's story is a parable. Uh, And as we know, a parable is a story that is used to illustrate something. And so the lesson that we have before us today is not so much about a widow or how we treat widows uh, in life. It is much more about what the widow represents. And what does the widow represent in this story? Conviction, persistence, and faith. And these are three of the qualities that we will need the most if we are to get through life and experience that fullness of life and that abundant life that Jesus promises us and that we are thinking about over these weeks in this series. Now, today, we're thinking particularly about the idea of integrity, What does integrity mean? It means being honest. Uh, It means thinking and being and speaking and acting the same as we would do in here, as we would do outside of here uh, during our week ahead. It means having strong moral principles. It means holding on to those moral principles, because integrity is about wholeness. It's about the whole of our being um, having the same values not different parts of our being having different values or different moments in our life with different values. The whole of our life has the same values. So it's about completeness. And that doesn't just mean being the same with every single person you meet, important as all of that is, of course, but it also means holding on to these values for the entirety of our lives. And this parable that Jesus tells us of this demanding widow shows us that holding on to our faith and allowing our faith to shape every single moment of our lives is crucial to how our life will turn out. And so I just wanted to say that I think it's really important as well that we are thinking about this parable and about the story of persistent, enduring faith on this weekend when we commemorate the first anniversary of Her Late Majesty the Queen's death. Uh, Her example of life, which is a life filled with faith, with endurance, with persistence, uh, right to the very end is one that we give thanks for uh, again today. Do you know one of the most powerful uh, stories I think I've heard in the last uh, few months has been this one. There was a man in England who had no faith, no Christian faith, not particularly a royalist, not particularly interested uh, in uh, this whole big event uh, that was the, the state funeral uh, and all of that, but got caught up in it uh, as, as we all did because it was such a big thing. Everyone was talking about it. All the media was talking uh, about it. And he sat down that afternoon to watch uh, the Queen's funeral on the TV. As I say, no faith, not being a royalist, just putting it on out of pure curiosity, I started to hear the commentators giving these stories and recounting these stories about the Queen's life and particularly how the Queen's faith sustained her to the very end. In her late 90s, serving the nation, all of the demands put upon her, many of which we know nothing about, uh, but a life of utter devotion. And that faith sustained her to the end because she famously, as we know, was the queen who was a servant to the king, uh, the King Jesus. That's who she described herself. And he watched all of this. And he listened to all of this. And he started to think about it uh, that afternoon. And he started to think, what is it about this life of faith that is so appealing and so attractive? And as the service went on, and as the liturgy went on, and the rituals went on, and all the rest of it, he found this sensation coming over him that he wanted that faith that Her Late Majesty the Queen had had. And he found himself in the middle of that uh, funeral service, falling to his knees and giving his life to Jesus Christ. And that man stood up recently uh, in a church uh, in England, Uh, and testified to his faith at a confirmation service uh, where the bishop uh, confirmed uh, his faith on him and has never looked back since. Stories of faith are inspiring, aren't they? And they're inspiring because there is such power behind faith. And I want to honour and pay tribute to so many of the stories of faith that I hear uh, in this church family week after week and month after month of people whose faith has carried them through difficult situations, painful situations, moments of stress, moments of anxiety, moments of bereavement, moments of loss uh, in their life, and who say, I couldn't have got through it except for my faith. And why do they tell the story? They tell the story to give honor and praise to God first and foremost. But they tell these stories to encourage the rest of us in our faith as well, because we'll all go through these things from time to time in our lives. And they all remind us, and sometimes we need to be reminded, that with faith in God, in the end, all will be well. And that's why this church community is so important. And that is why it is so important uh, that we are here, that we are parts of groups, that we take part in the discipleship of this community. Because as followers of Jesus Christ, when we go through difficulties in life, and when we confront challenges, we will confront them differently to people who have no faith. And it is good to share those stories with each other and it is good to build each other up in our faith. Because when we have faith in our lives and when our faith is the very bedrock, the very cornerstone of our lives, then life is good because God is good. But Jesus today in our reading, at the end of the reading, wants us to be aware of something. And he wants us to be aware of this because of his deep love for us. And it's this. At the end of the reading, we are told that faith in Christ, yes, the source of abundant uh, living, and because faith is the anchor in our lives. But Jesus asks this question about how many in the end will still be holding on to their faith. And this is extremely important because If faith is our anchor and faith is our security, then you can be absolutely sure that there will be all sorts of forces out there that will try to pull us away from that anchor and pull us away from that firm foundation. Because it it is destined, it's designed to pull us away from God himself. That is why This parable that we have today and the importance of persistent faith ends with Jesus asking his disciples, when the Son of Man returns, how many will he find on earth who have faith? I think that is a really sobering question. And You know, it's so much easier not to talk about these things and just not to acknowledge that there are destructive forces out there that will try to pull the solid foundation of faith from beneath our feet. But Jesus is telling us here that we need to be aware of these things. And we need to be aware of them, not to obsess about them or to worry about them or anything like that, because he has overcome all of these things but he tells us it so that we might just pay attention. If we sense, if the Holy Spirit prompts us to sense, that maybe we've strayed a little bit from the path of life we're meant to be on, and just maybe we've fallen under the spell of some of those forces, and we've started to put our faith into different things. Now, Jesus doesn't ask this question to condemn us uh, or to condemn anyone who's strayed in their faith or to somehow tell them off. It's far from all of that. He asks this question out of deep concern, deep love for the disciples and for every single person on this earth, no matter who they are, no matter what our backgrounds are, no matter what we have done in our past lives no matter how much we think in our own heads we might have messed something up, because Jesus Christ's ministry is a ministry of grace. It is a ministry of open arms. It's a ministry of wanting to ensure that everyone knows that they can turn to him and turn back to him and to know that they will be embraced. He will not reject anyone who turns to him or turns back to him. So why is this question that he asks so important? Well, it is literally a matter of life and death. That's why it's important. Because the truth is that there will be a final day for every single one of us here and every single one of us in this city and every single one of us in this nation and this world And on that final day, there will be no more chances to decide who we put our faith in. That day will arrive either when Jesus returns to the earth or when our earthly bodies decay and decease, at which point our very souls will rest until the day of resurrection the result will be exactly the same. The Bible is crystal clear that whether we depart this earth before Christ's second coming or at that time of Christ's second coming, Christ will return to judge the living and the dead. And the Bible is equally clear that it is by faith in Christ that we are saved. Not good deeds, not being a good person, not turning up to church every single Sunday, not by how much we put in the collection plate, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Faith that he is the Son of God. Faith that he has died in our place. Faith that he has paid the price for all of our wrongdoing. Faith that he has passed through the shadow of the valley of death and into heaven, where he sits alive at the right hand of the Father, and faith that for all of us who believe that our death is defeated too, and we also shall pass through death and into eternal life. That's why it's so important that he asks that question about faith. It's literally a matter of life and death. And by the way, that's why just before this chapter in Luke's gospel, we get this chapter just before it where we hear of Jesus healing a man with leprosy, uh, a man who has faith and turns to Jesus and asks him to heal him. And Jesus does heal him uh, in that moment. And of course, at one level, that story is a story about healing, divine healing uh, of the physical body. But every healing, every act of healing, in those days as today, is a sign to us, a reminder to us, that through faith in Christ, all of us will exchange our mortal bodies in this life and will be resurrected through new bodies to everlasting life, where there is no more sickness and no more pain and no more disease and no more death. It is our faith that will determine our destiny. It is our faith that will determine our destiny. And yet, as we get closer and closer to the day of resurrection, the remarkable thing is that in many countries of the world, and particularly the Western world, and this country is no exception to all of this, there is less faith than there ever was. So when Jesus asks of the disciples, when the Son of Man returns, how many will he find on earth who have faith? It's not just a question of, a rhetorical question that he's asking them because he knows the answer. It's not just a question of deep concern, but it is that. It's a prophetic question as well that he's asking. And we are now starting to see all of that play out in quite dramatic ways. Statisticians and researchers have produced many reports, particularly in the last 20 years, uh, showing the decline of faith in the Western world. In 1981, three quarters of adults surveyed in the UK said they believed in God. By last year, it was 49%, it was under half. Only five countries in the world that take part in these surveys had a lower percentage of belief in God. China, Sweden, Japan, South Korea, Norway. Prayer was even lower. Only South Korea and China said they prayed less often than the UK. The number of people in England and Wales last year ticking Christian in the religious identity box on the census that was done last year fell to below 40%. That has never happened before. And here's the most eye-watering of them all. A recent poll has shown that a third of Church of England clergy now doubt or disbelieve in the physical resurrection of Jesus Christ. And only half of clergy in the Church of England in a recent survey believe that faith in Christ is the only route to salvation. There are people in churches, this morning, in this country, who are leading the people of God in reading out their faith, in repeating their faith through the words of what we call the creeds, those ancient texts that have recorded our faith since the beginning of the church, and they do not believe half the words that they are reading. This is clearly a huge concern and it has and will have many repercussions for some sections of the church in the years ahead. But the Lord will deal with all of that because remember what he said to Peter, on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not overcome it. So it's good to be aware of these things but I think it's enough for us to be responsible for our own lives. We live in an era where there are many distractions, and there are many distractions that will compete for our attention and will compete for our faith in God. Why is that? Well, we live in a time where there are seemingly more solutions to all of the problems that we come across in life. Medical advances, scientific discoveries, Technology, advanced welfare systems, these are all good things when used correctly. But no amount of faith in these things will ever give our souls the assurance that our eternal destiny is secure. Now, sometimes it takes a life-changing situation for us to wake up to these realities and to seek God more. And sometimes that can be something in our own individual life where some great event uh, happens uh, in our life and it just forces us to turn back to God uh, in faith. And sometimes it happens at a more collective level because there will come a moment for most generations on this earth when we are collectively forced to question our destiny. And the great pandemic that we lived through was one such moment, a potential moment of awakening. Surveys in those days showed a great number of people turning to prayer. And they did so because people were coming to terms with the fact that we are not in charge of our fate that all of those things that society had told us for so long, you're the author of your destiny, you can be whatever you want to be, turned out just to be words. Many of us thought that we would never hear the like of them again because all had changed utterly. How naive we were, how naive we were. And the reality is That moment has passed, life has gone back to normal and the scramble back to 2019 has been remarkable. So let us acknowledge today that we live in an environment where faith is unpopular and that there are many efforts being made to undermine it. But let's also remember that to varying degrees, this has been the story of life in this age that we live in between Christ's first coming to earth and his return to earth. And none of this takes Jesus by surprise. In the days of the early church, the apostle Paul wrote to his young ministry colleague, Timothy, and he reiterated to him that the spirit of God had warned that a time would come when some would abandon the faith. And he said to Timothy, your job is to point out these things to people and to nourish them in their faith. And he wrote this in his letter. Be diligent in these things. Be diligent in your faith. Give yourself wholly to faith so that everyone may see your progress. Watch your life and your doctrine closely. Persevere in them. Because if you do, you will save both yourself and those who listen to you. Be vigilant. But be vigilant about what in particular? Well, here are some examples that are given. He says, Have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. For physical training is of some value, but training in godliness has value for all things. Holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. This is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. That is why we labor and strive, because we have put our hope in the living God, who is the saviour of all people and especially of those who believe. We must labour, we must strive, we must persist, we must persevere and we must hold on to the fact that Jesus Christ yesterday, today and forever is our saviour and we are to put our faith in him and we are to put our hope in him and him alone and not in what the Bible calls these godless myths, and old wives' tales. The equivalent today could be many things, but one thing that came to mind this week when I was thinking about all of this is the fact that we live now in an age where there are whole swathes of the internet and whole realms of the dark underworld sites that claim to know all about these secretive ways that the world works, and how about we're all supposedly being manipulated and controlled by them, and how the people behind these sites that are writing all of this stuff know the story of human civilization and how supposedly it's all going to end, and there are millions of people following all of this. If you are following all of this stuff because you think it is giving you the answers to your life, be very, very careful because you might just have put your faith in it and it will not rescue you from anything. It is best to ignore this stuff because we are those who have put our hope in the living God who is the savior of all people. Christ and Christ alone. So we need to remain faithful, and we need to remain faithful because when Jesus Christ returns to this earth, he must find faith in us. So we need to seek him. We need to be obedient to him. And we need to be so right to the very end. How do we find the strength to do that? Well, it's right back at verse 1 of today's reading. One day Jesus told the disciples a story to show that they should, also, they should always pray and never give up. That's the connection. Prayer is crucial to not giving up and not finding ourselves placing our faith in those things that would take us away from God. In the chapter before this parable, Luke 17 and verse 37, Jesus describes society like this. He says society is like a rotten corpse. And there are all these vultures that gather around it. What's he saying there? Well, if you imagine a rotten corpse at the side of the road, the stench that it gives off, the fact that it attracts uh, all of these um, uh, vultures, uh, etc., He's saying there, if that's like society, society, The atmosphere in society is being slowly, but increasingly polluted. And the atmosphere in which we live is one in which it can affect our spiritual lives if we aren't careful. But as someone once said, we are those who draw on the pure air of heaven which gives us the oxygen that we need to never give up. So we are those who need to make prayer as natural to our lives as breathing would be. Something we don't consciously think about, but something that we do all of the time. Because when we pray, we bring our thanksgiving to God, we bring our petitions to God, of course we do all of that. But we bring our whole selves, our whole being, our whole lives to God. And we bring it before a throne of grace and a throne of love. And when we appear before God in prayer, what we are saying is, Lord, I put my faith in you and you alone to deal with this situation. So the more we pray, the more we grow in faith. In last year's World Cup, Football World Cup, the England player, Bikai Osaka, publicly expressed at a press conference how for him it was really important always to have the presence of God in his life and to read the Bible every single night of his life, including during the tournament. He stood up and said this during a press conference about the Football World Cup. It's quite interesting, it's quite unusual for somebody to do such a thing, especially somebody very famous. But what he said that day had a deep echo with many people around the world. And why was that? It was because he went on to say this, the main thing for me is keeping my faith, having faith in God, So I don't need to be nervous or worried about any outcomes. When we have put our faith in Christ, we don't need to worry about any outcomes because the outcome is assured. The outcome is given for us. We know how the story will end. Because God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son so that in the end, everyone Everyone who believes in him will not perish but will have everlasting life. But for those who do not believe in him, the word perish is there. It is good to check from time to time in the state of our faith because it is a matter of life and death. And Jesus Christ came to this earth and died for us in this earth and rose again for us so that we, none of us would know that our lives would end in death. That's why it's so important to remind ourselves of why we cling on to our faith. It is the only route to eternal life. So let's recommit our faith in Christ today. Let's have today to be a day when we are refreshed and we are re-energized in that wonderful promise that Jesus made to his disciples and it also applies today when he said this the father himself loves you dearly because you love me and because you believe you have faith that I have come from God I have told you all of this so that you may have peace in me And I want to say this next part with some sense of fear and trepidation as I did at the first service. But I say it and I share with you that I say it because the Lord woke me in the early hours of the morning one day this week and told me to say it. So there are people here who need to hear this. It is a message for us. If you haven't put your faith in Jesus Christ, what are you waiting for? what are you waiting for? Because we've had our warnings. We've had our wake-up call. Jesus is coming back. It could be in two centuries. It could be in two weeks. It could be two minutes from now. What are you waiting for? Why would you gamble with the most precious gift that he has given you? Your very life. When the Son of Man returns, how many on earth will he find who have faith? May it be many. May it be every single one of us in this room today. May it be every single person that you pray for to come to faith. And in the end, May we be those who look back with thankful hearts and look back with this deep peace that passes all understanding because we are those who are able to say, in the end, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, and I have kept the faith. Let's pray together.